I just wanted to be perfect because I had learned from such an early age that if I wasn't, that was the only way I got attention. That was the only way people chose me. That was the only way I was of value in this world. Hello, and welcome to Enough, the podcast. I'm your host, Mandy Leto. This show is a mashup of inspiration and exploration around what gets in the way of us feeling good enough. If you're a leader whose life looks shiny and together from the outside, but inside your inner critic assures you that you are one hot mess, this podcast is for you. It's time to own your worth quirks, foibles, imperfections, and all. Welcome to Enough. Have you ever gotten up in the middle of the night to fix your makeup so your new flame thinks, hashtag woke up like this? This conversation is about all the ways in which we contort ourselves to get acceptance and belonging when we haven't yet learned to do that for ourselves. If you've ever performed who you think you're supposed to be, to be chosen by a lover, boss, or anyone else, this episode is for you. Today, I'm jamming with Abby Gibb, Emmy-winning journalist, two-time TEDx speaker, and business and media mentor. Oh God, I dated losers. Oh my God. But he liked me, right? But I, but I won. Somebody chose me because I had yet to choose myself. We go deep into how we both went from being disassociated from ourselves to finally feeling home in our bodies. I had to release everybody else's story, everybody else's gaze, everybody else's fear, everybody else's abuse of me, use of me, I released it. And I came back home to me, and now my body is safe. A heads up, this episode is a little, okay, a lot spicy. We are talking like three chili spicy. So if you've got little ones around, earphones are recommended. Let's drop in to the episode. Good morning, I love you. It's going to be a big old love fest, isn't it? Yeah, probably. It's just, (laughs) everyone should just get prepared because like, I'm kind of obsessed with this woman. (laughs) Well, the feeling is mutual and it feels good to jump in and co-create something or for this recovering perfectionist and overachiever to really be in surrender. Yeah. You, you sent me this morning. Yeah. You're like, I don't even think I should do this. I can't do this. And I was like, for what? What reason? What was your reason? That old Mandy would have just not even done this podcast today. We have some little kids living next door and they're just doing what little kids do, you know, playing dragons and pirates and screaming at the top of their lungs. And we are looking after my brother's very anxious terrier who sometimes gets along with our very laid back poodle and sometimes not. And we've just had a lot going on in the house. We moved into a new house. So there's builders that turn up unexpected. So I was in my gym clothes all morning with full intention to get my ass on the Peloton. And of course I was just in gym clothes and then it was time for our recording. So I put on some dry shampoo and some lipstick and the brightest t-shirt that was clean. And here I am 
mean, so, so you're you're having a life. Is that is that what you mean? Yes, that's exactly what I mean. This is having a real life and just surrendering to it. I felt my body starting to clench up and wanting to control it. And I'm like, oh, look, I'm doing that thing again. Unclench your butthole. Breathe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine's the jaw, but you know, same, same. I get it. I have lovely TMJ thanks to anxiety and recovering perfectionism and all of those pieces. I think it's a really interesting thing to have a friend that's such a twin flame and a beautiful mirror because I see you and I know you see me. And it's not, it's not easy to watch such a brilliant, kind, beautiful soul do a contortion around this feeling of perfectionism instead of just fucking showing up as the goddess that you are. Literally, a fucking goddess. That's what you are. It's undoing so much of the track that's been laid down, right? And I think this is the discombobulation of all of it. Like this is supposed to be what works. And it just throws up all kinds of feels. And those are fairly new to me as well, like feeling all the feels. So letting it all in. I love this idea that you're talking about. I want to come back to like what you think perfectionism is, but I think what's fascinating that you just said is there's a, a track that's been laid for so long and it's really easy to just literally kind of like the rut in a road, kind of just fall back into that pattern. And I don't think you thought I was going to go here, but I want to talk about drugs for a second because this is why I have found, before you roll your eyes at home, just try with me for a second. This is why I have found such profound help with psilocybin, the active ingredient in mushrooms, like psychedelic mushrooms. And it's something that's been relatively new for me in the last, I'd say, two years, year and a half of trying this. But scientifically, it literally makes new tracks, new neurotransmitters and pathways in your brain so that you can't, you know, it's hard to just read a book or go to talk therapy and think you're going to be able to rewrite the tracks of 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of doing something a certain way, right? Like perfectionism, for instance, anxiety. And what happens for me is, and I can say hand a Bible, it is the only time in my life I've ever experienced when I take psilocybin, I actually experience what it feels like in my body to not have anxiety. It is the only time in my life I can honestly say, oh, wow, I'm just me. It's like my head popped above clouds that I live in all the time. And I'm just me. I'm not high. I'm not extra funny. I'm not silly. I'm not anything other than purely just me actually present to my life. And what has been profound for me is this ability to taste what that feels like. So when I'm in these anxious states, you say the, the clenched butthole, I'd say my clenched jaw, right? These moments that I want to dip out because I'm not showing up perfect. I'm able to remember what that even feels like. And can I get over to that road fully yet? No, but I know at least it's there. I know that I don't always have to, for the rest of my life, live this way. And my whole goal is to be able to combine those two roads eventually. It's been really beautiful to be able to say, I know I don't have to live in this mode the rest of my life. There is something else 
in my brain that is possible than having to show up perfect in every moment of my life. That's such a beautiful share. I remember reading in Stephen Kotler's book, and also Tim Ferriss talks about this stuff a lot. And it's just, it's extraordinary what's available to us to see what's possible. As you said, not to get a buzz or not to numb out. Actually, not to drop in, actually be myself. Yeah. I mean, a good glass of wine, that's a buzz. A good glass, a delicious glass of wine that I hope to share with you someday in person. That's lovely, but it's a completely different experience. And coming from somebody who had never, like I never experimented with drugs. I was a pretty straight-laced, good kid, you know, and then being a TV journalist, I had a lot of reputation. I use air quotes, such bullshit, whatever, uh, reputation to uphold. So I didn't try any of this shit till my 30s. And I was like, what the fuck? This is amazing. Like bury the lead, y'all. Where the... Like, but I'm grateful that I didn't do it when it was a party drug. And it really was an opportunity for me to start to have more self-exploration. And I do believe that drugs only work because we already have that natural capacity inside our brain, which is why I love things like Kirtan for me and other ways of spiritual exploration that don't require drugs. Having said that, it's like a fast pass. It gets you there in a way that I think... Other spiritual modalities are more like riding a bike. And this is like a plane. It just, same destination, but it gets you there a little faster. And anyway, it's just nice to know that there might be some relief for you and I, the recovering perfectionist type A overachievers of the world. Because you know what, Mandy? I'm fucking tired of striving, dude. I'm real tired. I've been striving my whole goddamn life. Literally my whole life. Like since I was like five, I was like star student, great, you know, head of the class. Oh, I skipped a grade. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't, fuck, I'm tired, Mandy. Yeah. And these things are often a fast pass. Talking about fast passes, these things are often fast pass to exhaustion, burnout, numbing. And these are all the things that happen on the inside. And I think this is the This is what's so insidious about what looks good on the outside versus what feels shitty on the inside. And because everyone's giving so much external validation, oh, look at you, you're the golden child, you know, you're the 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 one that gets upheld. And then of course you don't want to disappoint and say, no, I'm human, I have mental health challenges, my body hurts, I'm exhausted. So we continue to collude in this whacked out. warped fantasy literally for everyone else not for us for everyone else i mean i remember the amount of times i would sit there at like you know some sort of gala that i was emceeing or something and people would say oh what a glamorous life you have or oh i loved your latest investigation blah 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 it would feel good for sure i mean i knew i was good at my job i was fucking miserable mandy My body was breaking. I had a terrible, terrible autoimmune disease. I mean, I was literally crippling myself from the inside out and it wasn't enough to stop. And what's so beautiful is that I don't believe that it is a mistake that you and I were born at this exact moment in time to be part of 
what is a galvanizing of voices that say it's enough. It's finally enough. And there is an active, visible paradigm shift happening. And what's so beautiful is, of course, usually those large paradigm shifts, when we look at these large social movements of change that happen, they are led usually by Black women. And I think back even just recently to the Me Too movement, which was started by a woman named Tarana Burke. And it's because of her that I'm here because she started saying Me Too. And then 10,000, 100,000 other women finally got the guts. I had the guts to say Me Too and to leave such a toxic industry and start to do something for myself. And now we look towards, I mean, literally just happening today, Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka, who are both saying, Even if you gave me a gold medal, even if you give me Wimbledon, even if you give me millions of dollars, it is not worth my mental health. And for the amount of patriarchal bullshit we knew was going to come from very insecure, usually older white men saying, oh, you just can't hack it. And I want to say, you know, Simone Biles took down a sexual predator and had to hold the weight of being the face of the sexual abuse of the U.S. gymnastics team. She competed with broken toes. She's been doing this since she was two. If she says this is too much, why don't we believe her? Amen. Why don't we believe her? Naomi Osaka sitting there, incredible woman, says this is too much. I don't want to do the... who cares? She wants to go play. She just doesn't want to answer your dumb fucking questions. Why is that not enough? When will it ever be a breaking point for all of us to be enough, to believe the woman when she says, this isn't healthy? Why do I have to sacrifice myself for you? Or for the validation in front of the planet and you know for the, for the accolades. And I think... Something is building, as you said, we're born at a certain time, we're galvanizing. And this is exactly the point of this podcast as well, is there's a play on words here. It's really, there's that rally cry of enough. This enough is enough. And knowing also that we are enough and that we can stand firm and be with other people who are also exhausted of performing. Yes. In so many areas of our life. And you and I have gotten into this about, I'm so fucking tired of performing. And even in my own business that I love, which attracts women like you. I mean, you're a dear, incredible client slash friend slash soul sister slash goddess, right? I'm so grateful for the work that I do. And I'm tired. It's a lot. It's hard. And I don't feel like we have, until recently, a safe space to say that. At what cost is this at? Right. And getting to say, I need breaks or I need to pivot or I need to stop completely. And I, I want to sit with like, where, where do you feel like you have been performing? even recently in your life? That is just, (laughs) it's such a water swell of a question. I feel like I've been performing my whole life. I feel like I've had to be something for someone until I became so far adrift from who I was 
and who I, you know, who I wanted to create myself as that I, I didn't even know how to get my way back there. Like, who am I actually when I don't have to be someone? And whether it's at work, having to be like a top performer, whether it was in my own physical body of having to look a certain way or be a certain way for my professors when I was in university or to be a certain role in my family or, you know, even in society to be small and, and cute and have, you know, the right outfit and, you know, all of that bullshit. I I didn't even want to go to the supermarket without any makeup on because, you know, lest you see someone. For real. I'll tell you a really quick story about that. Because of being on TV for so long, I realized later that I couldn't see myself until the world stopped seeing me. That it really took me leaving that large of a platform to begin to see myself. And I'm going downstairs from my apartment down to like one of like the bodegas, you know, and I'm wearing my boyfriend's t-shirt. Okay. I think there's no way I'm going to see anyone. I always have to look perfect everywhere I go because people take pictures. You don't want to be in the tabloids, blah, blah, blah. So I'm just going down to the bodega. I definitely still had like come on me. Okay. Let's just say what it was. Wearing his t-shirt. I have JBF hair. You know, We're just going to grab some water. Nothing big. And a little girl. I mean like seven, Mandy. Comes up to me. Are you Abby Gibb? Fuck my life. Comes up to me. I've always wanted to be just like you. Can I take... Fuck my life. Can I take a picture? I literally was like... What do you what do you say? What do you say? What do you say? I'm holding water, toilet paper, no bra. I've got sex musk all over me. And I'm like, absolutely, Annabelle. <laughs> Mom, can you just hold my toilet paper for a second? I'm just gonna take a little selfie there. True story. I came back up and was like, never again. I don't even get to go downstairs. I have created a glamorous tyranny. I have created the most gorgeous, ornate prison. And I'm done. I want to break free. I'm fucking over this. And, you know, there's privilege in the fact that you and I can. There are so many women in so many countries around the world that don't, that know they're in a prison and will never be able to get out. But you and I have that privilege. And anyone listening probably does too. It's not just for women, for men too, right? We talk this big term of toxic masculinity, but there are the oppressed are oppressors and the oppressors are oppressed. And sometimes we are the ones oppressing ourselves. And I'm so fucking tired of it. This is enough. And I mean, even this morning, and there's a, a beautiful woman. I love her dearly. She'll be on my podcast, Yana Robinson. She's a poet. She posts this thing this morning. I love my life. I'm making half a million dollars while I get to do my art. And I thought I'm a sellout. I haven't finished even my book proposal with our dear friend, Patty. I'm not staying true to my art. I'm focusing just on my business. Literally this morning, I'm like, ah, calling myself out, being like, where are you still feeling like, where are you still feeling like you're performing? And then just being like, abs, can it just be enough? So you're not Yana. Is that the worst thing in the fucking world? Abs, seriously. When does it get, when can you stop? And Yana took years to become Yana, right? Like it's not that that happened overnight. And I think part of the other mindfuckery of being caught in this 
funhouse mirror of not enoughness is when we get out of our lane. Like when we start to compare ourselves to somebody who's maybe been in the game longer or, you know, has completely different life circumstances or, you know, whatever. And we start to think that this is now the new standard at which we're supposed to hold ourselves. And I think part of the, the whole not enough thing is that there's some kind of low grade virus in us, not scientifically, but like that it, it's normal to feel bad about something all the time. And that's the state that we, if one thing gets solved, then something else tetrises into that place of now I need to feel bad about this. That's like the baseline. And this is something that, you know, our dear friend, Shelly Paxton, she's always asking the question, what are you rebelling for? I'm rebelling for being free of needing to be in defensive pessimism all the time because it's safe to be pessimistic or that the next shoe is going to drop or that, that, you know, you need to feel bad about something all the time. That's something I'm done with that. You also remind me of our other friend. We're not like trying to name drop here. We just really do have dope <laughs> friends. We just at this stage of our life, we're like, fuck this. I only roll with like rad chicks in my life. So Jen Pasteloff with with shame loss. This world wants us, oh, this world wants us to be well adjusted to feeling shameful consistently. It is insane. And I refuse to do it. And at least right now, I'm not saying I'm there, but I'm conscious of it. Because that's exactly the next step I said to myself, just like you said. I said, I'm not Yana. I'm not Yana. I didn't grow up like Yana. I don't have the things like Yana. That's not a bad thing. I have other really cool things. My life looks very different. I'm my own person. And what I find is that inside of this recovering perfectionist is that what actually has been motivating us this whole time is a space, this tension that's completely fucking imaginary that we make between where we are right now and where we want to go. And we only know how to relate to ourselves in that space of tension, of not enoughness, of shame, of perfectionism. We're almost perfect, almost there, almost got it. You're almost like them, but you never are. And then once it collapses, like you get the thing that you thought you always wanted, what happens next? You fucking make more tension. It never stops. So you actually have never related to yourself. You've never actually related to yourself. We only relate to the tension between where we are right now and where we want to go, between who we are and perfection, between me and someone else, instead of actually getting to relate to ourselves. That's bullshit. I'm missing out on my life. And the only way that we can continue that tension is by performing. Performing is what gets us to continue that tension, that tight walk, tight rope walk. I don't want to do it, Mandy. I don't want to do it anymore. It's a distraction. I was just talking about this in a previous episode with Sarah Normandin, who is, she calls herself the imperfection specialist, which I love. And it's, it's like this cycle where you think, okay, I suck when you do your comparison thing. And then there's the hustling. The next step from there is the hustling. Like I need to de-suckify myself. And usually there's a negative motivator. Like look at her ass, look at his bank account, look at those trainers, look at this, look at that. So we use the negative motivator to whip ourselves into shape, whatever that is. 
And then we try to be perfect at it and sustain it. And hello, because we're human, it becomes unsustainable and we fail. And then we end up back in the I suck place. And it goes around and around and around the eerie merry-go-round. And what that is, according to Sarah Normandin, which I thought was brilliant, is the most incredibly well, soul-sucking distraction because piling up over here, because we're in the merry-go-round, right? Suck, hustle, fail, suck, hustle, fail, suck, hustle, fail. And over here on the sidelines is actually where our emotions pile up, our unfelt emotions, grief, sadness, all the good stuff too. But because we're in the profound distraction of that little ongoing hamster wheel, we don't actually ever have to deal with this, the, you know, the, what feels like a bottomless pit over here that I will, if I feel my feelings, I will get sucked into the undertow, never to be seen again. But also like, this is where our joy is. This is where possibility lives. This is where uncertainty is. This is where like toe curling, delicious moments live. It's life. All of it. Life is lifing over here. Over here. The merry-go-round. Yeah. Yeah. And perfectionism, this tension, this cycle of mindfuckery, as you say, all of it is a distrust in ourselves. Like you said, I, I don't trust that if I feel this emotion, I'll ever make it out alive. Right? It's a distrust in ourselves. And we've been conditioned, normalized, to instead of facing it, just have shame, cover it with more and more and more shame. And I like to think that the difference between shame and boundaries is that shame is about secrets. It's about this idea that if I share this thing, if I even see this thing, even just for me, let alone anybody else, I can't possibly love it. There's some space in my life that I just can't love. Right. And then boundaries are sacred. Boundaries are about saying, I deserve to create this space to grieve, to process, to have joy, that the mind fuckery doesn't get to come in here. And what I hope is to continue to explore how I can bravely, fiercely touch and go all in on me, on my feelings, on my experiences, and that gets to be enough. Not the outcome, not the way I show up for anyone else, not the big golden lesson I learned from it, but literally just sitting in it. And that gets to be enough because perfectionism keeps me from love. Perfectionism is one side of the fear coin and the other side is shame. And both keep me from love. And when we speak about performing, I think that's another part about love. For so long, it literally didn't dawn on me to ask myself on a date, for instance, if I even liked him. It was always about whether or not he liked me. He was many times a piece of shit. Just, you don't even want to, oh God, I dated losers. Oh my God. But he liked me, right? but I won. Somebody chose me because I had yet to choose myself. And so I performed. I performed in bed. I performed on dates. I performed in the relationship. 
I would get up in the middle of the night with one of these dudes. And it's so sad. Like, I just want to hug her. I'd get up at like 4 a.m. and fix my makeup so that when he woke up, I just, you know, hashtag look like this. Like, I just wanted to be perfect because I had learned from such an early age that if I wasn't, that was the only way I got attention. That was the only way people chose me. That was the only way I was of value in this world. And then TV, of course, fuck, that fuckery will really cement that idea because you won't have a job. It's like in my contract, if I gain weight, I will not have a job. They chose the exact shade of shitty overprocessed blonde that I had, right? I mean, I'm literally being judged. It's called ratings and they look at them every day. <laughs> it's insane. And when that happens at such a formative age, before I even really had a chance to know me, of course I perform. When I look back, I have nothing but compassion for that journey that led me here. Of course I would perform. And on top of that, to at such a young age, before I ever got to see myself, I feel like so many women can relate to this story. And maybe you can too, Mandy. My eyes were taken from me by men who saw me as sex objects, as playthings, before I even understood what that meant. I remember being catcalled at 10. 10. I'm in like a Mickey Mouse t shirt still and like scrunchy, messy pony, you know, with no ma- I don't, I'm, I'm a kid. I'm a child. I don't have any concept of who I'm becoming yet. And before I could see myself, men took my eyes. And so of course I performed because I didn't know how to see me. I didn't know I had any worth other than the male gaze, than if they chose me. And so I continued that from 10 on until honestly, the day I stood on the first TED stage. And when I shared that truth, it was a release of all of these stories that I had carried so covered in shame my whole life performing. And as soon as I walked off that stage, all of those words, they, they stayed there. They stayed on that little red dot. And I, Abby, became me. So I am, I feel like I'm about two years old. Literally, I'm about two. I've never seen myself. I think I'm dope. I'm discovering shit. I I apparently uh, love mountain climbing. I apparently figured out how I even like my eggs. Mandy, I didn't even know how I fucking liked my eggs. Runaway Bride from Julia Roberts' Runaway Bride, where they're like, what do you... I just liked whatever eggs every boyfriend asked me to make. I didn't fucking know. I like Sunny Side Up, by the way. That's my jam. (laughs) I like sunny side up eggs, by the way. I don't like beer. I drank beer. I drank whiskey. I don't fucking like it. I don't like either of them. I drink ciders and some delicious wine sometimes, once in a while. I don't like fried food. I fucking hate sports, apparently. Found that out. Don't like that at all. I love vintage bikes. And I've started to learn how to skateboard. Skateboarding is super fun. Thought chicks couldn't do it. Nope, definitely do. Welcome. I am two years old. And that's okay. 
because I think I'm pretty rad, but I've never even gotten to see myself until I finally stopped telling everyone else's story, everyone else's expectation. I dropped the male gaze. I started to eat again. I healed my eating disorder. I, I got to finally be me, Mandy. And that's all I wish every woman could have, not to be anything like me or you, but just to get to see yourself, like snatched your fucking eyes back. Yeah. And it also comes from something really important that you said about trust. Not only that our eyes have been snatched often by the male gaze, but also that it's not the male gaze per se, but other things that happen along the way have completely obliterated our trust in ourselves. Our trust of our in-the-moment intelligence, our trust of what our intuition is saying. I think I became so, alongside your male gaze story, you know, yes, me too, me too, me too. And I just learned how to disassociate from my body. It didn't feel safe. I didn't trust it. I didn't like the feelings that happened there. I didn't understand them. It confused me. It made me feel gross and dirty. And therefore, I thought I'm just going to become a head on legs because that I can control. Tell me a moment. Tell me a moment. Because I can think very palpably that there was, there's a very distinct moment for me when I discovered that not everyone disassociates in their body and that that was a trauma response. I fucking didn't know that. I thought that was just a normal, that's just how women interact in sex. So tell me for you, when was a moment that you even knew what disassociating was? I think I was probably like not quite today years old, but it's very recent that I've, as I've been doing a lot of the deep work, the story that you said resonates so much about you didn't even really know if you liked the guy. There was something in the fog of not enoughness about being chosen. That was really important to me too, that if I got to be chosen by someone and they bestowed their specialness on me because I didn't feel like I had any, right? I was a vacuum. I was an empty cup to be filled by other people's importance and significance. So I was a vessel for whatever anybody was willing to pour into me. But first and foremost, I was on the shelf with all the other shiny bowls. Pick me, pick me, pick me. And also in our careers too, right? Like anything, just pick me. Exactly. And the amount of, I wouldn't necessarily say abuse. Sometimes it was abuse overt abuse, like physical abuse, but mental abuse, the amount of just gross, non-acceptable behavior that I was willing to tolerate in the transaction of being picked. Pick me and bestow your specialness on me and I will perform for you because this is transactional. And I could disassociate myself from my body. So I could allow my body to be used as faux intimacy, because this is how we're supposed to be connected. But I've, in those moments where I was so disassociated from myself and my body, I've never, I, I could feel myself sort of drifting out of my body, like up at the ceiling, looking down at this whole situation. And then convincing myself, this is what it's supposed to feel like to feel connected in a human relationship. Isn't this good? Shouldn't we look for more of this? Tra la 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 la. Yeah, because when you see it on TV, porn, movies, she comes in like four seconds. 
and it's just very easy and transactional. And so you're just like, isn't that what we're doing? Isn't, isn't that what this is? And I didn't discover until so much later that because of the abuse, the sexual abuse, the rape, the traumas that I faced. And by the way, I am not my traumas. These are stories I'm sharing, but I am not broken. There are parts of my heart that have been broken along the way and then remade. I just need to say that really quickly. I am not my trauma and I am not broken and I'm not a mess. And I'm not all these words that the world wants us to not talk about and we cover them in shame. I'm not available to that. So if that was where you were going, you can stick a pin in it. But I, through all of these different forms of trauma that I faced, of course, naturally began to disassociate my body from them because I still needed to perform and engage, but I wasn't safe enough in my body to actually feel it because I wasn't choosing it. I was waiting for someone to choose me. How many of you at home are like, oh, well, that buck, did you just throw? I hope somebody is taking a shower and just threw the loofah out the, out the shower. <laughs> was like, well, fuck. <laughs> or like, I hope there was an audible fuck if you're running right now in a park and somebody just stared at you and you're like, I just, just, I'm listening to a pod. It's just, just keep running. It's okay. Because we don't trust ourselves, right? We don't trust ourselves to choose ourselves. We don't trust ourselves to own our emotions, to own our intuition, to say, this guy with the belly hair and, you know, the eyebrow dandruff, I don't care who he is on this card. I am not interested in him and his little cocktail sausage. Get off, get out. For real though, I dated a guy, we're going to call him cowboy lawyer. And oh, God bless Cowboy Lawyer. I mean, he was, he, he, he should be on the, like an episode of The Bachelor, okay? I mean, he was like all the things you're supposed to want. And I get in there. I mean, I get in there, you know? And I'm not kidding. I literally was like, have we started having sex? And then he just came. And I was like, oh, oh, we're, that's it. That's what I'm working with. And I went to my mom of all people, why I went, God bless Madeline. And I go to Madeline and I'm like, all right, so we got Cowboy Lawyer. I've been talking about it. You know, it's all the things. It's great, but we got, we got a problem. And a Sex in the City talks about, which I don't even really like that show, but it was formative in my college years. He had a lipstick dick. And I literally tell her that. And she goes, maybe we can work with it. No, mom, you can't work with it. You can't work with it, mom. You can't. Now he's married with two kids. So clearly, first off, it works for someone. I don't know. It's not me. But the answer, she's crying right now. If you're not looking at this video, Mandy is crying, laughing. I can't work with that. I shouldn't have to have to work with that. Can you imagine if I signed up for a life with Cowboy Lawyer? Asking myself if it was ever actually even in? Come on. That's real though, y'all. That's real though, y'all. We don't trust. This is, this is not what I need. And I think when we tamp stuff down, when we tamp our feelings down so we don't have to feel the shitty feelings, it also tamps down intuition until the embers just fizzle out. And this is the life of like sleepwalking through life. And what I'm hoping that this episode will do where we're just jamming about all kinds of crazy shit is... You knew it would be like this. I knew it would be like this. And I was really excited about this. It's like, where did you learn how to not trust yourself? And how do you get back into 
a better relationship? Like, how do you even start flirting? Like, how do you court your trust again? That's a juicy question for me. Go answer it then. My first job was in a funeral home. I worked in an animal morgue. I, you know, like I studied war and death and suffering and. (laughs) You are a dark arts witch and I am here for this shit. Mandy, why did you even, I didn't know this about you. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, where in my first job, we were working around dead people all the time, you know, when they embalm them and get them ready for the funeral home. And, you know, they have, they have cute, you know, the cotton balls on their eyes and rollers in their hair. And it was just normal. It was just normal. There's something about reminding myself that I will die and that everyone that I love will die and that everyone that I can't stand the sight of will die. There's something really life-affirming about that. And thinking about it on a regular basis reminds me that if I ain't going to trust myself, what's going to happen? You know, like it, it really grabs me by the shoulders and says, you know, it's time to really remember what's important. I'm 50, right? Like hopefully I've got another five decades of robust living to do, but all of a sudden I'm just aware that I don't want to spend my time and my precious energy. Burnout was a major lesson for me too, that what energy I do have is my, you know, my energy and my time are my biggest, biggest currencies. For me, oh, thank you for that beautiful share. Yeah, for me, it's taken a few compounding pieces. The first one I would say was being so sick. So having... Suddenly at the top of my career, here I am. I've got my own TV show. I've got the Chanel purse and the walk-in closet, right? I've got a doorman. I've got all these things. And I've never been extremely like commercial or needing that kind of thing. I was not raised that way. But because I started in this industry, as everybody does in TV, in this podunk, rinky-dink, piece of shit place, making less... That I mean, making $17,000 a year, okay? I mean, broke doesn't even begin to talk about how broke. So it means a lot when suddenly, you know, six years later, you're able to do this thing that you created, right? So here you are. And I knew I was miserable. I didn't even want to do it anymore, even though I was only 27. And then suddenly to be 27 in what is, quote, like the prime of your life, which also is bullshit, by the way. But you're only 27 and all of a sudden I can't get out of bed. All of a sudden I'm throwing up in between commercial breaks. I'm attached to an IV. I have this mysterious disease that no doctor can solve. And it lasts, Mandy, for five years, five fucking years. I was terribly sick. And it just showed me how quickly your life can change. And And then I still pushed. I mean, it was really ingrained, right? So I still pushed. And then it wasn't until the Me Too movement and suddenly covering Trump and realizing that this industry that I had quite literally slaved away for and given my body to in so many ways, emotionally, physically, had changed into a really scary, toxic place. There's suddenly this thing called fake news you know, and alternative facts, like as a journalist, what the actual fuck? And I was actually covering the election and I was at Trump headquarters when he won. 
And I was in pure shock and I had to go in the bathroom and cry and then put myself back together because I'm supposed to be impartial and, and go cover this. And I quit a week later. I couldn't do it. And it was finally in those, between those two sort of bookends that I, I, I buried my last fuck about other people's perception. And it still took a while. Let's just be honest for me, personally, for me, it took a while to finally begin to give myself even the permission to see and ask what I liked and what I wanted and, and give myself some space and also create really strong boundaries around what that looked like, right? Like, no, you're, I'm not available to that. I'm not going to apologize for that. No, 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 no. And it's been a really beautiful uncovering and becoming kind of all at once. There's an unraveling and deepening that I feel that I've, I've had. And one tangible piece I've discovered is in the bedroom for me, I started to work with, I forget what it's called exactly. It's a Japanese term, but it means like the rope play. And I think people think of this in like, Oh, like really like 50 shades of gray kinky. Okay. I'm not going there. That's not, I'm not that person. I'm not kink shaming, by the way. You do you, whatever you like, rock it out. Don't hurt anyone. Consent is important. Having said that, the, what I discovered was this, like these ropes being on pressure points in my body. And I wish more people talked about this. So that's why I wanted to share it with you. I I had a, a season where I really enjoyed that. And what happened, Mandy, I don't know how else to explain this except. The ropes touch these pressure points in my body of stored shame and trauma. And in this very intimate experience, I actually just started crying, screaming, orgasming, laughing, every repressed thing I had felt essentially my entire life, right, was being released in this space and time. And it lasted about five or six months until one day I was like, that's enough. It's out. It's done. And I was able to be fully present in my body. I realized for the first time in my entire life, I didn't disassociate with sexual intimacy. I had trusted and was safe. I had to release everybody else's story everybody else's gaze, everybody else's fear, everybody else's abuse of me, use of me. I released it and I came back home to me. And now my body is safe. Now I get to experience pleasure and I get to experience joy and connection and intimacy and honesty. But I had to do that work. And I'm not saying that's going to be everybody's cup of tea. And if I've made you blush, well, you should probably not follow me on Instagram. But I hope that every woman gets a chance to, I like to say, have a yard sale of the soul. Put all of these boxes of shame out on your front lawn. Let the sun touch them and let them just be. Because there's no part of you that's shameful. You're not a victim. You're not broken. You're not wrong. But there are parts that deserve to see the sun, maybe for the first time in your life. Because how the fuck are you going to see you? And this comes back to the trust. It's coming back to 
bring those parts of ourselves that we've orphaned off because it felt too shameful and to bring those younger selves into the fold with us. Your story inspired me to share something that I don't think I've ever shared this in, I shared it in my book, but it'll come out at some stage. There was a guy that I was seeing at one stage and I decided he was very charismatic, very sexy, very, he was a dancer, Latin. And he was seeing plenty of other women on the side. And I just thought, enough, I can't do this anymore. And I went to tell him and he ended up seducing me one last time for old time's sake. And while we were having sex, he pinned me down and he bit me. He bit me on the breasts. He bit me on my inner thigh. And I knew he had a big knife in his bedside table. And all of a sudden, I had this like out-of-body scene that I could see my outline <laughs> taped out in masking tape on his shitty blue carpet. And I, my animal instinct kicked in. I have to get out of here. Because I thought he, you know, the sinews in his neck were popping out. And I just thought, this is a bad this is bad sign. And my, my animalness woke up. And I remember that if I leap out like a deer and make a run for it, he's stronger and bigger than me. And that will trigger him. And I just realized I had to be slow and I had to, you know, be calming and I had to, I had to be a balm in the situation. And meanwhile, like I was bleeding and I remember my heart throbbing. I was like one big pulse. And when I picked up my clothes very, very softly and quietly, and I said, I'll call you later. And I went down the blue stairs. And when I closed the door, there's like a little entryway before you go into the street. So I put my clothes on there. And then I ran until my breath was in rags. And I ran through, it wasn't lost on me at the time, through a cemetery. That was the shortcut on my way home. And that was something I was so ashamed of. I have a PhD from Cambridge. Like I'm the girl who got the straight A's. And then I ended up with this loser who bit me when I said I was going to break up with him. And he said to me, when he was biting me, he said, if you're leaving me, I'm going to mark you. That part, I thought this, this self, I disassociate from you because you are shame. This is not supposed to happen to somebody like you. Who are you even becoming? And then many, many years later, I had tamped that down into such a black box in the bottom of my soul somewhere. And I was doing a primal scream exercise, which I wasn't expecting was going to access all of these you know, these compartments that I had like put Houdini chains on and bricks that were like in the sludge of the bottom of the seabed somewhere. And John Wineland guided me through a primal scream and all of that stuff. It just felt like initially it started to feel like the silk hankies coming out, you know, like somebody pulling the, the clown silk hankies coming out. And it was such a weird experience how it almost became orgasmic in a way. Like I had lots of people holding space around me and the noise when he asked me to release all of that. And it was like a slideshow of all these images of, you know, the boys who sexually abused me when I was 12, you know, all these 
you know, my, my supervisor at university who said, you should sleep with me, him and his eyebrow dandruff and his pot belly and all of these men that I thought, pick me, pick me, pick me. And in me picking me, in me allowing all of that stuff to come up, like some combination of lava and vomit and whatever wanted to come up, the noise that came out of me, it would have shattered windows. I I could not believe that noise came out of me several times. And it felt, he asked me to do it once for myself. And then he asked me to do it for, for the women in this room. And then for the women who had tamped down shame and physical and sexual abuse and, and been catcalled and been cheated on and been hurt and punished physically and mentally. And there were other pieces of work that helped me, but that was my most freeing moment where I thought, I trust me. I trust me to hold myself in my unraveling so that I can fill up. I might be an empty cup, but I get to fill myself up with what I want. I get to fill myself up now. I get to. Mandy, that is such a profound story. I'm really glad I got to witness this moment. Thank you for letting yourself be seen. Thank you for being this brave. There's a softness in our bravery, isn't there? Like we roar and then we sit in this soft compassion. Isn't it interesting that the fiercest thing we can do is love? We can love. That's it. And that's what I mean when I hope that we begin to become embodied in all of our energy. I mean this regardless of whatever gender you identify as, but that we begin to be embodied in this masculine and in this feminine. The feminine is fierce. It's so fierce that our entire society is built on tampering it down. It's built on us disassociating from our power and our intuition. I mean this for anyone, all human beings, regardless of how you identify. But the feminine in our bodies, all of ours, is fierce because it's love, deep, passionate, powerful love. And how sad that this world is built so that we can't even touch, let alone give that first to ourselves and then to everyone else. We've gotten so, so toxic masculine. Achieve, strive, perform, dominate, rule, so far from our internal knowing, which I believe is embodied with both energies, by the way. And that's why today you remind me why I do the work I do. On days when I'm tired, which I was this morning, you reminded me that this is why I believe in the power of story more than anything in a world that we're seeing the ocean quite literally on fire. And we know we're looking down the barrel of climate change's gun. I really believe that the strongest weapon we have is story. And we can't tell our stories until we see them for ourselves. Until we trust ourselves, until we get out of our heads and into our bodies, until we get into the stories that our bodies hold and that we hold those stories that our bodies hold. Yes. And they have to get out. Somatic healing in whatever way that works for you. And what I'm so surprised by for me was two kind of more taboo topics, right? Sex and drugs. (laughs) were for me, and only me, the most healing ways that I've been able to somatically release stories that were never mine to begin with, that I picked up and reread and said were mine, and they're not. 
So for those of you that are still listening, thanks by the way for sticking around. This is a fiery fucking episode. I just want you to think of the stories that aren't true. Stories that you've held for so long that you're fucking over with. Stories that you've consistently picked up over time and reread to yourself so much that you think they're true because there's so much more room on the page of your life. If you just grab back your own pen and I'm not saying it's easy. Like Mandy and I are talking like, fuck, she's fucking 50. I'm 36. This shit is not like an easy road here, y'all. Right? I'm just just now starting to give less fucks. So I'm not saying that this is easy, but I'm saying it's worth it. It's so beyond worth it. And there is a paradigm shift happening. It's obvious. And it starts with our stories. It starts with women like Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka. It starts with women like Mandy Leto and Abby Gibb. It starts with you. It starts with all of us. Whatever your truth is today, do you have the guts to share it? And maybe it's just with yourself. That's okay. I'm not asking you, God knows, to be performative, (laughs) right? I'm not asking you to be performative. I'm just asking you to be honest because you will be loved. That's the fear, right? Perfectionism and shame, the two sides of fear are both that if I share this, I won't be loved. And so I surrender to fear. I can't trust that I will love these parts of me, but I'm at least there's two women telling you that there is no part of you that cannot be loved. There's no part of you. You are not broken. Parts of you may feel broken. That's okay. That would be the same as if you, your friend, right? Mandy comes to me and she's like, abs, I broke my leg. I would not turn around and be like, Mandy, you are broken. (laughs) The fuck, right? Right? Like for real though, I would not be like, oh, Mandy, I don't know if I can love you now with that gimp ass leg. Like what? No, I would be like, I'm so sorry that that shit's broken. And then you know what I also wouldn't do? I wouldn't expect her to go run the Boston Marathon next week because that shit also takes time to heal. And I'd give her time and space to sit there and go to physical therapy and heal and take some time off and not show up in the same way for her work. Like I would make accommodations for the fact that her shit is a little broken. Not all of her, but just her leg. Why don't we do that with our heart? A part of us was broken, sure. Maybe a lot of it was shattered at some time. And then we're expected to just run with it. Never talk about it. Never say anything about it. Instead of saying, hey, that's some heavy shit. You need some time to heal. And that's what I'm seeing someone like Simone Biles do right now in the Olympics. I am palpably watching her say, you know what? Being raped, taking those rapists to justice publicly on the global stage, competing at this level so high that they don't even give me points, full points for all that I can do because no other woman in the world can do the stuff I can do. And I'm being penalized for that. While men, of course, like Jordan, are gl- are globally recognized for being so much better than everyone else, she's penalized. And then the entire Olympics is resting on whether or not Simone Biles is the first woman since 1992 to be able to win gold across all platforms. Maybe that's a little too much. She says, that shit's not my story. I don't want to read that story. It's not my story. But you know what? Parts of me 
parts of me are broken and I need some time to heal and it's not going to be on your timeline. So go fuck yourself right there. And so I just ask, like, you're going to say abs, Mandy, like, yo, I am not Simone Biles. I'm a stay at home mom. I'm a corporate CEO. I'm just chilling in this random ass town. Nobody will ever know me. I'm not that, but you are, you are in your own way. You listen to this podcast because Mandy is a leader and so are you. You're a leader in your family. You're a leader in your community. You're a leader at work. I know it. Fuck, you're probably the leader at your yoga studio. Whatever your shit is, I know you're a leader. So when are you going to give yourself permission to heal? That's my hope for you today on this on this beautiful episode that Mandy was so sure was not going to be okay because she couldn't show up perfect. And because she was willing to not show up perfect, it is the most beautiful and perfect experience I could ask for. And thank you for holding me while I trusted myself. I fucking love you. I love you too. This is fun jamming with you. I know. like a long ass episode. Like seriously, we should have passed out biscuits and refreshments along the way. How long have we gone? I'm going to tell them where to find you now because the, even at one hour and six minutes, they won't have had enough of you yet. So <laughs> where's your, where's your social media hood where people can hang with you? Oh, come hang out with me in my little corner of the internet. Yeah. Come hang out with me on Instagram, Abby Gibb, A-B-B-E-Y-G-I-B-B. And then all my other like links and stuff. If you want to watch some of my talks or listen to my podcast or any of that shit, you can find it all over there. And the TED Talks are definitely worth grabbing your cuppa and curling your legs up under a blanket or sweating wherever you are, depending on where you are on the globe and hanging out with Abby. I learn from this magical creature every single day. Thank you for playing with us today. Same, same. Thank you. I love you. I You're love the best. <laughs> Thank you. I told you this is going to be a love fest. I wasn't. Yeah, I was really, I, we warned you. <laughs> I should have warned you that you probably need a fan for listening to that episode. (laughs) How smoking hot was that? If you want more of Abby Gibbs truth bombs, find her over on Instagram and check out her two Ted talks. The truth bomb trend continues next week with bestselling author, Jen Pasteloff. We are talking shame loss And it's a really practical episode in terms of letting go of those shame behaviors that no longer serve you. Here is a little amuse-bouche of what you can expect. So I used to think with a lot of things, with the inner asshole, with shame, like, I got rid of it. That's it. (laughs) And then you wake up and there it is again in bed with you. If you loved today's episode, please share it with someone who could use some of Abby's wisdom. I look forward to playing with you next week here on Enough, the podcast.
wake up and there it is again in bed with you. 